Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I in the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to him, said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Let's pray before we consider God's word together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we remember those two disciples on that first Resurrection Sunday as they were walking to Emmaus and their hearts were heavy. And Lord Jesus, you came alongside them and you opened up the scriptures to them. And their hearts burned within them as the scriptures were opened. And then they recognized you in the breaking of bread. And so we pray now that our hearts will burn within us as the scriptures are opened to us. And would you give us eyes to recognize your presence with us in the breaking of bread. For we ask it in your precious and powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we return to John's gospel this morning, we are returning to Jesus' teaching in the temple at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And in John chapter 7 and then in John chapter 8, it's happening at the same time around the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's happening in the same place, in, in the temple. And 
remember that the Feast of Tabernacles was a feast that commemorated and celebrated God's presence among his people and commemorated and celebrated the time when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, how God went with them. When they were in tents, God was in a tent. And while they were in the wilderness, God provided for them and God led them. And while they were in the wilderness, God provided water for them. We read this in Exodus 17. When they were thirsty and they had no water, Moses struck the rock. God was on the rock. And water poured, fo- uh, poured forth and the people drank. And 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that that rock went with them and provided water for them in the wilderness. And that rock was Christ. And remember that during the Feast of Tabernacles, in the mornings, there was this ritual where the priests would go down and draw water from the, from the pool of Siloam, and they would take it up to the temple, and they would pour it out on, on the altar. And it was a, rem, a reminder that God is the one who provides the water of life. And then while this is going on, Jesus, on the last day of the feast, the great day, stood up and says, Whoever is thirsty, come to me. I'm the source of living water. But there was another ritual in the evenings, great torches in the, in the court of the women that were very high, they were even higher than, than the walls of the courtyard, were lit so that everybody in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles could look up and they could see these torches lit in the temple. And that was a reminder that when Israel was in the wilderness, God led them through the darkness by a pillar of fire. It represented his presence, that he was with them, his glory, and he led them. And so, in the Feast of Tabernacles, in the temple, Jesus stands up here and he says, I am the light of the world. As we think of these two things, water and light, this is what we need for life. We need water and we need light. And you just need, you know, the basics of biology to know that, that that's the case. We need water and we need light. This is how photosynthesis works. Plants take the, the light energy and they, with water, they convert it to the, the energy for life. And so it's basic to life, water and light. And if you think of Genesis chapter 1, when God begins his work of creation, he begins with water and light. It's at the very beginning of creation. This is what we need for life. And as it is in, in the natural world, so it is spiritually. We need water and we need light. And John chapter 7 and John chapter 8 declares, and Jesus himself declares, that he is that water. He is that life. And as we go back to the Old Testament, we see again and again that God is seen as the source of living water. He's seen as the source of living light. Think of Psalm 36 verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light, water, and light. And then Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? And darkness is scary. Kids, you know this. Do you, get, do you get afraid in the dark? You're not sure what's going on? Did I see something move there? What is that in my room? And it's not just for you kids. I think most of, most of us adults, if we're honest, there are times when we're in the dark, we're afraid. But here the psalmist says, whom shall we fear? God is my light and my salvation. And in John 7 and 8, Jesus says, I am the light. I am your light and your salvation. He's the fountain of life. He's the light of the world. And as we consider this text that we've just read, John 8, verses 12 to 30, 
I want us to consider that first statement that Jesus makes, because everything that he says after that is, is an unpacking of that statement. So he says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I want us to consider these three things. First, what, what Jesus means when he says, I am the light of the world. And in saying that, he is saying, I, I am your light and your salvation. And we need to remember that God is light. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is saying, I am light from light. And that's what we confess in the creed every Sunday. He is light from light. And then he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And we need to consider the significance of darkness this morning. The darkness. He is the light shining in the darkness. And our Lord warns us that if we don't believe in him, we will die in our sins. We will die in that darkness. And then finally, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we need to consider that this morning, the hope, the promise of the light of life. So let's begin with what Jesus says here. I am the light of the world. Now when we hear a phrase like that, we hear Jesus say that, I am the light of the world. It's possible we could misunderstand that. We might think, oh, he's he's speaking about the fact that he is the one who brings enlightenment. Uh, If we follow Jesus, if we follow his teaching, we'll have enlightenment. And we can, we can see it in more of a, a philosophical way or maybe an ethical way. You know, Jesus is the one that shows us the truth, and so we follow him, and we have the right understanding of the world. It's enlightenment. See it in a philosophical way or maybe an ethical way. It's the ethical teachings of Jesus. And so if we, if we follow those ethical te- teachings, then we'll, we'll know what it means that he's the light of the world. Now, in one sense, though, those, that's true. Uh, he is the truth. Uh, He is the one that shows us how how we ought to live. But it goes much deeper than that. And we may think, oh, he's he's speaking more in spiritual terms. So in terms of being the light of the world, this is is more of a mystical reality. And we can view this in 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 a Gnostic sense. So we're in spiritual darkness, but he comes and he illuminates us. And then we we have a, a certain spiritual perception. And we might see it in those terms, you know, it's kind of a mystical, it's kind of a mystical thing or, or a Gnostic thing. Or we might just see it generally as a metaphor. And there's lots of metaphors in Scripture. Jesus has been speaking of himself as, as bread and as, as, as a fountain of life. Uh, so here's another metaphor. You know, he's, he's like light. He's using a metaphor here. But actually, in this case, it's not a metaphor. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's not speaking metaphorically. Uh, He is light. And we need to remember what John tells us in John chapter 1, uh, sorry, 1 John 1, verse 5, where he says, God is light. God is light. And when Jesus says, I am light, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, I am the light of the world. God is light. He is light. And as we read through Scripture, as God reveals himself, and as his people celebrate who he is, Oftentimes, the fact that he is light is celebrated. And so God as light, this is a reference to to his presence, to his glory, to his life, to his love, to his holiness. Think of what the psalmist declares. Worship him in in the beauty or the splendor, the radiance, the light of holiness. His holiness is light. 
His law is light. The Proverbs, the Psalms, celebrate that his word, his law is light. His justice is light. Sometimes this reference to God as light is a reference to his transcendence. He he dwells in unapproachable light. So God is light. And when Jesus is saying, when he says, I am light, he's saying, I am light from light. And we know this because uh, when, when they respond, when the Pharisees respond to him, they say, how can you bear witness about yourself like this? You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus' response is to point to his relationship with his father. And we see that in the subsequent verses. Verse 14, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I am going. I know where I come from. I come from the Father. The Father is light. He's the Father of lights. He is light. I know where I come from. That's how I can say I am light. My judgment is true, verse 16, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the the Father who sent me. Again, this grounded in his union, his relationship with his Father. Verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Verse 29, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He is light from light. His answer to their response, hey, how can you bear witness about yourself? Your testimony is not true. His answer is to say, no, I am, I am one with the Father. He is light. And because I am one with the Father, and I come from the Father, and I was sent by the Father, I am light from light. And the significance of the light in Scripture, yes, as we, we can think about it, his life, his love, his holiness, his justice, his word, but where, where it is most profoundly known is in the intimate knowledge of his presence. That's the significance of the pillar of fire in the wilderness. They knew that God was with them because they saw the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And when the biblical writers speak of the light of God, they speak of the face of God. It's his countenance. Think of that blessing with which we bless each other every Sunday. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance. It's his presence. It's his face. That's his light. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, I am light from light, I'm the very face of God. As you look in my face, you are looking into the face of God. Now, verse 28, he says something profound. Because where that light is most clearly manifest, where the light radiates most strongly, most brightly, where we see the face of God is when he's lifted up. Look at verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Then you will know that I am the light of the world. When you have lifted me up. And he's referring there to the cross, to his crucifixion. And let's remember what the Gospels report to us concerning Good Friday, the crucifixion. The sun was blotted out. Darkness covered the land for three hours as he hung on the cross. In one sense, that was the darkest moment in human history. It was quite literally dark. And it was the darkest moment in history because the Son of God was nailed to the cross. 
At the same time, that was the brightest moment in history. It was there that the face of God shone most brightly. It's there where we see the light in the darkness. Now, I want us to consider that, the significance of the light of the cross, the light of the face of God shining in the cross. But before we get there, we need to consider the darkness. It was dark on that Good Friday. And our Lord promises us here, he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. But what is the darkness? Well, if we look at verses 21 to 24, we see two things about the darkness. First, it's, it's a domain. It's a realm. The realm of darkness. The place of darkness. But then we'll see it's also us. We are the darkness. It's our sin. So listen to these verses, 21 to 24. So he said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. That is where the darkness is, below this world. But then verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So darkness is both a realm, it's a place, but it's also us. We're the darkness. It's our sin. First, let's consider darkness as as a realm, a place. It's below. It's this world. Paul refers to this world, this age, as the present evil age, as the realm of darkness. We've been rescued from the realm of darkness, but this world is darkness. Below is the darkness. Uh, It's a place where there is sin, where there is death, where there is evil, where there is deception. It's a place under the influence of our enemy, under the influence of Satan. Now, in some ways, the darkness is obvious. We are are painfully aware of the darkness of our world. And we see it, and it's obvious to us, and we're grieved by it. And we can can think of, uh, of the profound and obvious manifestations of that darkness, whether it's abortion and euthanasia, whether it's the the sexual depravity and perversity of our society. That's obvious. But in other ways, the darkness isn't as obvious to us. Sometimes the darkness glitters. Sometimes the darkness looks light. I want you to think about something. After Jesus' baptism, where he hears that word of affirmation from his father, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. He goes out into the wilderness, and he doesn't eat or drink for 40 days. Now, he's fully human. Let's imagine what he looked like, having not eaten or had anything to drink for 40 days. We're told that the devil came at the end of that 40 days and tested him. And tested him concerning the very thing that his father had just said. If you are the son, if you are the son. Now, I don't know how you imagine the devil in that scene. But let's remember that the devil is an angel of light. Lucifer. That means light bearer. He's a radiant one. 
And if we're looking at that scene, it's, the, the devil's not the grotesque, ugly one in that scene. And oftentimes, the devil masquerades, he masquerades as the light. And we can think of our, our society around us and just think of the language and the rhetoric of our society. So we talk about, we talk about equality. And if we're, if we're against that equality, I guess that means we're for inequality. Uh, there's talk about social justice. And if, if you quibble or you disagree with, that, with social justice, then what does that mean? You're for social injustice? Is that what you're about? We talk about love. Think of all the ways that our society talks about love. Well, if you oppose that, what does that mean? Well, you're, you're about hate. Our society talks about health and safety. That's the new idol of our age, health and safety. Now, very narrowly defined. But if you're against that, what does that mean? You're a threat. You're dangerous. You're putting other people's health at risk. Now, all of these things have the appearance of light. And the, the, from, the, from the perception of the world around us, if you're against it, well, you must, you must belong to the darkness. So the darkness sometimes glitters. And we need spiritual discernment. And notice what Jesus says concerning the Pharisees here. You don't recognize me because you're judging according to the flesh. Verse 15. And we as God's people can judge according to the flesh. It's very easy for us to see all of the, the, the rhetoric of the world around us. The world's perception of what is good. The world's perception of what is true. The world's perception of what is love, what is just. It's very easy for us to then judge according to the flesh, to, to get caught up in that. So we need spiritual discernment. The darkness isn't always obviously dark. It glitters. But we have the light of God's word, which exposes the darkness. And we have the light of God's presence. And just think, kids, for a moment, when it's, when it's dark. And just think what, you know, even a little nightlight, the comfort that that brings. And we need to remember that in the ancient world, they didn't have electricity. So when, whenever they were talking about lights, they were talking about lamps, fire. And just think of what a comfort, even a candle is in a dark room. In the light of a candle, there, there's a warmth to it, there's a glow to it. And in the darkness of this present age, we follow the light of the world. And I love that line in, in the hymn, um, Thine own dear presence, to cheer and to guide. I love that, to cheer and to guide. The light of Christ is a comfort to us. It cheers us and it guides us. So in the, in the realm of darkness, we have the light of Christ. But darkness isn't just a realm. And if it is just a realm, we may think, okay, what we need is we need a better education. Uh, we need better economic policies. We need better political policies, better social policies. And we'll just address the darkness and, the, and, uh, and bring light that way. We'll just address the realm of darkness. But the problem goes much deeper than that because we are the darkness. And when we read at the beginning of John's gospel, in him was life and his life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness there just isn't the realm of darkness. It's the darkness of our hearts. We are the darkness. The light shines in us. 
We are the darkness. And here he warns them, you will die in your sins. It's your sins. So yes, we live in a fallen world, but we ourselves are fallen. We ourselves are dark. And when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, he's the light of the world in the darkness of our hearts, in the darkness of our lives, the sin of our lives. And here's where the, the, the light of the cross and the light of God shining in the face of Christ on the cross shines in the darkness because it's there in the cross. And yes, I, I know that God's law reveals our sin to us. It holds up a mirror. This is what's right. You've broken the law. You're sinful. God's law is a mirror. But there's, a, there's an even clearer, brighter mirror that exposes our sin to us, and that is the cross of Christ, Jesus hanging on the cross. And yes, the law will show us, what our, show us our sin. And yes, even the penalties of the law will show us the seriousness of our sin. But we will not fully come to appreciate the ugliness and the gravity of our sin until we take seriously until we hear what Jesus says here, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you have lifted me up, when you have lifted me up. Now Jesus says, you will die in your sins, but it's you who lift me up. And the, ugly, the ugliness, the gravity of our sin is most clearly seen in, in the cross of Christ because it was the Son of God who came to die for our sin. And it was the weight of our sin that held him on that cross. And that's why Good Friday is such a dark day, because there, there we see the darkness, our darkness. It's our sin that nailed him to the cross. Remember what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. The record of debt. He wiped away. But how did he do that? Nailing it to the cross. The record of our debt, the record of our sin was nailed to the cross. Christ was nailed to the cross. He was nailed. Now, our Lord warns us here that if we don't come to the light, we don't follow the light, we don't turn to Christ, we don't acknowledge the depravity of our sin, the gravity of our sin, the ugliness of our sin, we don't recognize our Lord bearing that sin, bearing that darkness on that dark day in Calvary, he says, you will die in your sins. And some of you have come here this morning and you are dying in your sins. And yes, our Lord bore the the eternal darkness and death of your sin on Good Friday. But if you refuse to come to him, then he warns us that you you will die in your sin. And dying in your sin, you you will be cast into the outer darkness. Yes, there's the darkness of this present age. There's the darkness of your own sinfulness. But there's a future outer darkness, an eternal darkness, an eternal death. And if you don't see the, the, the brightness of the face of Christ shining on you in the light of the cross, then you will see, you, you will bear his wrathful look on the last day. And you'll know his absence. He will turn his face away. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus, he's the light of the world. And he bore the darkness. He bore your sin on the cross. And don't walk in darkness any longer. Turn to him. 
For those who turn to him don't walk in the darkness of this world, but will have the light of life. And that's our final point, the light of life. Now, when, it's, when he says, I am light, he says, he's saying, I am light from light. God is light. And the promise of the, the light of life is the promise of the very light and life of God himself. In other words, you will have me. You will have the Son of God. You will enter into the light and the life that I share with the Father. That's the light. That's the life. Communion with the Father and the Son. Now, there's a promise here. On the one hand, you will have the light of life. We look forward to this. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5, gives us, gives us a beautiful picture of this future promised light of life. I'm going to read this whole passage. It's only five verses, but it gathers up these themes that we've seen in John 7 and John 8 of water and life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal. Notice that. This is light, bright water. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And that's what we're longing for, to see his face. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Well, that's future. That's the fullness of the light of life. But even now, even now we have the light of life. Even now we walk in the light. Think of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Even now we have that light. Even now the light, God who said, let light shine in the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now notice what Paul says here. In our hearts. Our hearts. Plural. In our hearts. And here we see the importance of our fellowship of believers. That we are together. That we are a body. Because we can, we can listen to a text like this. We can listen to Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. And we can hear this biblical language of seeing the face of God. And yet that can still be conceptual to us. It can still be abstracted. It can still seem like an idea. But the reality of what Jesus promises here is known by our fellowship with one another. Listen to what John says. So yes, he says God is light. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we have the light of life, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then the same Apostle John who wrote this gospel says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This isn't an idea. It's a reality, and we know that reality by our fellowship with one another. And yes, he has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. One day we will see his face. But for now, we have one another's faces. And that's why our fellowship together is so vital. We have the light of life together. And when we see one of, a, when one of our brothers and sisters, we see wandering in the darkness, then we go to them as, as true light bearers with the light of Christ. We call them back. We remind them of God's saving love. And so our fellowship is absolutely vital. And there's no question that our enemy who wants to keep us in the darkness, one of his strategies is always to keep us apart. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Thessalonians. Again and again, I tried to come and see you. I wanted to see you. I wanted to see you face to face, he says. But the devil hindered me. But we know that we have the light of life by our fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then finally, we need to recognize the cost of being those who are in the light, who have the light of life. Just as the light of Christ was most clearly manifest in his suffering, in his death, so his light shines through us in the darkness of the world through our suffering. Because, yes, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say in verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way. If we follow him and so have the light of life, we can expect this is coming. This is the path that he will lead us down. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed. We're living in perplexing times but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Notice our Lord when he said, yes, I will be lifted up. But then immediately says, but the Father is with me. He has not left me. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then he, here's, here's the theology behind that always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Yes, we have fellowship with one another. We know that we're in the light because of our fellowship with one another. But we need to be prepared to suffer. But we suffer together. We suffer in our fellowship with one another. And Paul says that through our suffering, through our affliction, through our persecution, when we are struck down, when we are perplexed, 
when we know the suffering of Christ, when we carry his death in our body, then the life of Christ is manifested. Then we shine. Then the radiance of his life is manifest. And so we are living in a time, and we can expect that we are entering into a time of increasing hostility, where it seems as though the darkness is pressing in. The more the darkness presses in, the more the light of Christ shines. The darkest day in history was Good Friday, and that was the brightest day. But on our own, we can't do it. Together, together, in fellowship, we have the light of life, and we shine with the light of Christ. That's also why it's so vital that every Sunday we come to the Lord's table. Because just as in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, was the, was the, gave the people the assurance that God was with them and he was leading them, so we have bread and wine. These are the signs of his presence. And yes, those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, their hearts burned within them as the scriptures were opened to them. But then as they sat down at table and Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he gave it to them, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And so every Sunday we know that we are not forsaken. We know that we have the light of life because we come to this table and our eyes are opened and we recognize him with us in the breaking of bread. So let's come to the table now knowing that here we have the confirmation that the light of life is with us.